we would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. Or, of course, on your trusty computer, www.citr.ca for live streaming. My name's Gavin Walker. And, of course, uh, we're here with some of the very best in jazz music. And uh, with the playing of our theme song, which uh, I still get uh, people asking, uh, what album is this? What is that? Anyway, the album is called Soul Stirrin', and it's on Blue Notes, and it's by the great late trombonist Benny Green and Company. And there's two tenor saxophone players on here. The first one is the great Gene Ammons, and the second one is the equally great Billy Root. Less known, but uh, just as fine. Billy was originally from Philadelphia. And on piano, the legendary Sonny Clark, Ike Isaacs on bass, who went on to work with uh, Lambert Hendricks and Ross, and the great Elvin Jones on drums. And our theme is the title track, which was actually written by a real jazz character by the name of Babs Gonzalez. And he wrote that tune and contributes, uh, sings along with the band as they do that uh, little vocalizing on the introduction. And the tune, of course, is Soul Stirrin'. Check it out sometime. You can, if, you, if you're not tired of listening to it on this show, you can always find it on uh, YouTube, I'm sure. We have uh, lots to cover this evening, and uh, we're going to be telling you about uh, a great uh, book launch a little later on in the show. This is a very, very important book that's been in the works for a long time, and it's called Live at the Cellar. Now, this is not about Corey Weed's cellar, although that's a small part of the book. This is essentially about the original jazz cellar, which was located um, on Watson Street, which is a little tiny street, uh, almost a back alley, Uh, between Maine and Kingsway, and the cellar was located there in from the mid-50s to about the mid-60s, and all kinds of important jazz people played there. There were plays. It was truly a cultural center, and uh, this book goes into great detail. It's written by my good friend, uh, Dr. Marion Iago, uh, who is uh, currently located in Edinburgh, and uh, she'll be coming over here, and there's going to be a book launch, and the book launch is going to be at Neptune Records on October 17th at 6.30. Yours truly will be there to introduce Marion, and she'll be um, discussing the book and uh, how she, uh, all the extreme um, effort that she went to uh, get the facts straight on the club and talk to people, many of whom have now passed away. Uh, She was able to interview them and uh, really gives a a wonderful overview of that legendary club. And, of course, the, the whole cooperative jazz scene in Canada as it was back then. But the cellar was really an important club, and um, I just thought I'd mention that. I will be mentioning mentioning it again later on uh, in the show, and um, 
just to let you know, because uh, we always, there's some listeners that come in early and then leave, and then there's other listeners that come in a little later, so we'll be doing it again. So that's an important event. But another important event is our jazz feature, which is what we uh, do at this point uh, in the program, and it's a very important part of the jazz show. Incidentally, my name's Gavin Walker. I don't think I mentioned that, and this is the jazz show. And our jazz feature this evening is, for me, uh, and and this album has a lot of sentimental value for me as well because I grew up with this music. Um, And at the time, really, um, this gentleman who we're going to listen to his name is very familiar to Sonny Rollins, Theodore Walter Rollins. Sonny Rollins, one of the foremost voices of the tenor saxophone. And at the time that this record came out, he was truly my musical idol. And of course, he remained that way and still is. But this album was a very important milestone in Sonny Rollins' career. And this is our jazz feature this evening. The album is called Work Time, and it came out on Prestige Records. And it was Sonny Rollins' first 12-inch LP. Now, those of you that are... <laughs> um, this goes back. Uh, most jazz albums back in the 50s were issued on 10-inch records. And, of course, they got phased out, and um, the regular 12-inch LP kind of took over. Um, 12-inch LPs were only usually restricted to uh, classical music and so on. And jazz and pop music was on these 10-inch records. Well, it was that all phased out in the, around the, the mid-50s, and the 12-inch LP became the um, how we listened to music right up until the era of CDs. And, of course, the CDs are now kind of obsolete, and now we're into digital, but that's a whole other story. So this was important because this was Sonny Rollins' very first album on a 12-inch LP. And um, beautifully recorded. And it marked a milestone in the career of Sonny Rollins. We, a lot of us who know about Sonny know about his legendary sabbatical that he took uh, in the late 50s where he, at the peak of his fame and career, he dropped out and decided to uh, stop playing, stop taking engagements, and uh, he had things to work on. Um, uh, it wasn't uh, because of uh, any kind of nefarious activity and so on. He just felt that uh, his health could be better. Uh, he was tired of traveling, and he didn't feel that he was worthy of all the praise he was getting. He knew that he wanted to improve so much more. He wanted practice, basically. So he was uh, able to do that, and he took a two-year vacation. Um, and, of course, that was very well documented. And, of course, the, ma- the jazz magazines uh, wrote about it and so on, and Rollins eventually reemerged in the early 60s with a wonderful album on RCA Victor. 
uh, called The Bridge because Sonny Rollins did a lot of his practicing on the Williamsburg Bridge. So that sabbatical was very well publicized. Then he took some more later on in his career. He went to Japan uh, for uh, uh, spiritual uh, cleansing and learning about that culture. He went to India that sort of thing. So he took various breaks, and it was always uh, publicized. But this album was a result of his first break, and it wasn't publicized. Sonny Rollins was uh, emerged in New York City as a very important young saxophone player. As a matter of fact, he started recording. He was still a teenager when he made his first recordings. And um, then he was picked up by Miles Davis and mentored by Thelonious Monk, and he recorded with both of these gentlemen and, uh, and began recording under his own name. So he established uh, a small kind of underground name in New York City as uh, being a very promising player and um, that sort of thing. But Sonny was uh, born and raised in Harlem, and of course... Um, subject to some of the hazards of growing up there, including drugs, and Sonny got hooked on heroin, some very, and uh, in the early 50s. It's hard to imagine this gentleman who was so healthy and is still alive, he's 88 years old, just celebrated his birthday a couple of weeks ago, uh, would have been strung out on drugs, but he was. And um, this went on, uh, and of course he went through the usual um, things that uh, people that uh, are in that position. Uh, He was busted a couple of times. He spent time behind bars. Uh, He spent time at a rehab um, center. It didn't work. Uh, He pawned his horn, uh, all that sort of stuff. But there were people that saw such a promise in Sonny Rollins. Charlie Parker, despite all his problems, uh, ran into Sonny Rollins many times and lectured him about his lifestyle. Thelonious Monk was a big inspiration to Sonny as well and saying, if, you know, if you want to really be the Sonny Rollins you want to be, you got to get off this stuff and uh, quit messing with your life. So one day... After a recording session with Thelonious Monk, Sonny looked in the mirror and didn't like what he saw and decided he's going to take a break. He's going to leave New York City. And he was going to, um, because he was being chased around by uh, pushers and all kinds of, too many temptations. And uh, he took a saxophone and packed a small bag and headed to Chicago and locked himself into a room for a couple of weeks and kicked his habit, which took an enormous amount of strength. And he did that without therapists, doctors, or anything else, just through sheer will. And once he got over that crisis, uh, he took a job in a warehouse and did a lot of physical labor. Um, uh, He worked as a packer and... uh, um, also uh, went to the gym, worked out, got his health together, started eating better, and he was able to also practice his horn, which he, he, kept, uh, he kept working at. And very soon, 
after being in Chicago for several several months and, and getting his health back and his life back in order, he got a call from Miles Davis. Miles uh, phone, uh, contacted Sonny and said, I'm forming a new band. I want you to be my saxophone player. And Sonny said, no, I'm not ready yet. I can't do it. I'm not ready. I can't get back on the scene. Too many temptations. I don't feel strong enough. So that was it. And, of course, Miles Davis went on to hire John Coltrane. The rest is history. Sonny was still in Chicago when Max Roach, the great drummer with his band, with the trumpeter Clifford Brown, came through Chicago. They did not have a saxophone player. The regular player decided to stay on the coast. That was Harold Land. Um, he stayed on the coast. So Max arrived in Chicago um, without a uh, saxophone player in his band, but he knew some good players in Chicago, so he sort of um, had an audition and wanted people to sit in so he could listen to them and maybe pick and find a new saxophonist. Well, Sonny Rollins decided to go down and try his hand, and of course, uh, he had already met Max Roach and so on, but Max was uh, totally enamored with uh, Sonny's playing and asked him to join the band, and Sonny was ready. By that time, this was toward the end of the year, end of 1955, and Sonny said yes, and he became part of the great, one of the greatest bands in jazz music, the Max Roach Clifford Brown Band. This led to this recording session. And Sonny returned to New York, and Prestige Records phoned him up and said, we have a recording date uh, for you. I'm glad you're back. Um, bring a band in, and we'll record you. Are you ready to do that? And Sonny said, yes, I am. And this record came about. Now, the important thing about this record is that when it was issued, everyone was shocked at how good Sonny Rollins sounded. He was good before. But nothing like he was, his strength had been renewed. His sound was bigger, his confidence. It was almost a swagger to his playing. And I consider this record the first step towards Sonny Rollins being recognized as a great musician. Not just a good musician, but a great musician. And this was the first stepping stone. So with that long preamble, kind of a setup to this album, we'll get to the music right away. Sonny picked them in. Um, he picked a, a young piano player from Philadelphia who Miles Davis actually recommended um, this young man to be uh, on Sonny's record date. And his name, Ray Bryant. And he really shines on this beautiful piano player. And uh, he and Sonny worked together beautifully on, on this date. Uh, on bass was the regular bass player with the Max Roach Clifford Brown Band, George Morrow, solid bass player, and the great Max Roach on drums. And uh, this is some of Mr. Roach's finest playing is right here on this album. And there's only five tunes. The album is relatively short. It's about 35 minutes long. And that's my only regret, is that the album isn't long enough. It's so good, it, it's over before it starts. And it was all done in Rudy Van Gelder's studio on December 2nd, 1955. So Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, Ray Bryant on piano, George Morrow on bass, and Max Roach on drums. 
The first tune is Irving Berlin's great anthem, There's No Business Like Show Business. Not a tune that a lot of jazz musicians play, but Sonny Rollins makes it all his own. Second tune is Sonny Rollins' original composition called Paradox. The third tune is a great tune that uh, Duke Ellington made famous in his band, written by his alter ego, Billy Strayhorn. The tune, Rain Check, and that's one of the high points of the album. But the real high point is tune number four. It's the ballad of the set. It's a tune that Frank Sinatra uh, sang when he was quite young, and uh, it's a gorgeous ballad, and it's called There Are Such Things. And for me and many other people, this is worth, that tune is worth the price of the album. It's incredible. And the final tune is a Cole Porter standard, and Sonny takes it at turbo tempo. And the tune is called It's All Right With Me. So those are the tunes, those five tunes, and Sonny Rollins, and this is his masterpiece, one of his first work time. Sit back and enjoy this. There's no business like show business.
Sonny Rollins, Work Time, his first great masterpiece, recorded for Prestige Records. Upon his return after a sabbatical in Chicago to New York City and as a member of the great Max Roach Clifford Brown Quintet, Sonny went into the studio on December 2nd, 1955 and recorded this album with uh, his selection of players. Sonny on tenor saxophone, of course, along with Ray Bryant on piano, who was suggested by Sonny's friend Miles Davis. And um, uh, Sonny was very pleased with Ray's performance on here. It uh, sounded wonderful on, on piano. On bass, the regular bassist with the Max Roach Clifford Brown Quintet, George Morrill, very reliable, and he could handle all those very fast tempos. And, of course, on drums, the one and only Max Roach, one of the pioneers of modern jazz. And, of course, uh, inspiring Sonny to his, uh, the heights that he reached on this particular album. Work Time was the, uh, was the name of the album, and it was the first 12-inch LP that uh, Sonny Rollins had ever recorded. Um, most of the small companies were uh, phasing out their 10-inch records, and uh, the, the 12-inch LP, LP became the norm. Uh, 55 was, 1955 was the kind of transition year. Pop and jazz recordings were always on 10-inch records, and then, of course, that all changed. And uh, the 12-inch LP uh, became the source of music right up to uh, the coming of uh, CDs, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So this particular album, one of Sonny's, as I said, uh, his early masterpieces, uh, the tunes we heard, Sonny always picked interesting tunes that weren't normally played by jazz guys, and he did this throughout his career. The first tune was, of course, his rendition of Irving Berlin's There's No Business Like Show Business. And the second tune was um, an original by Sonny Rollins called Paradox. Uh, tune number three was uh, written by Duke Ellington's alter ego, Billy Strayhorn. And it's a great tune, and uh, really reached a high point on this recording. Rain Check was the name of the tune. And then, of course, the real high point for me was the ballad. And that, that was the tune that was recorded uh, way back uh, in the early 40s by a very young Frank Sinatra. And Sonny, I guess, heard the tune, liked it, and decided to record it on this uh, session. And the, the, the ballad was entitled, There Are Such Things. And uh, one of Sonny's great ballad performances. And the final tune was um, um, done at uh, turbo tempo. Uh, Cole Porter's great tune, It's All Right With Me. And uh, signaling the end of this uh, album. One of the things I do regret about this album is that it's so short, and it's only about 35 minutes long, but it is uh, one of Sonny's classics, and it was really one of the first steps um, that Sonny took uh, as a player from someone who was promising and, and a good player to a great player. 
Mr. Rollins is still very much with us. He just celebrated his 88th birthday. Uh, Sonny no longer plays, but um, he claims that uh, he still practices every day in his head. <laughs> and uh, 88 years old, he uh, has many, many great memories, and he was a, a very, very important part of uh, the evolution of jazz music. And uh, this is kind of an honor to always uh, play the music of Sonny Rollins. And this is uh, one of, I have to admit, a little bias on this record. This is, a, people ask me uh, all the time, you know, Sonny recorded so many records, and, and I could uh, recommend so many, but I always mention this one, and a lot of people say, oh, I don't know this one at all. And I said, well, you better get it. It's called Work Time. It's on Prestige Records. Get it. So we heard it this evening. Certainly hope you enjoyed it. My name's Gavin Walker. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. We just finished our jazz feature, and we're going to pay tribute uh, in the next segment after uh, a few messages. We're going to pay a tribute to one of the greatest of all modern jazz trumpeters, the sadly ill-fated, he died, he was only 26 when he died. I'm talking about Theodore Fats Navarro. Fats Navarro set the standard for, uh, for trumpet playing. We're going to hear some of his work in a short time. But we have some messages to deliver, and we'd like to tell you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we shall return momentarily. People are really done with politics as usual. But then it's all about the competition. Every Vancouverite has their own story. The perfect time for our alternative. Vancouver's municipal election looms October 20th. Do you know who's running for city council, school board, Parks Board. This is a wacky municipal election, and you're going to want to stay updated. Download Seeking Office, the newest municipal elections podcast from CITR's News Collective. Find Seeking Office on iTunes and Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts starting July 3rd. The year is 2124. Civilization as you know it is gone. The last remaining archive of Vancouver's music, art, and underrepresented issues is the September 2018 issue of a magazine called Discorder. 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 The September issue of Discorder is out now. This month, there are pieces on Andrea Warner, the author of Buffy St. Marie's Authorized Biography. Commercial Drag, a weekly drag show for anyone and everyone. Music features with local bands Landline and Board Decor. An art feature by Nada Hayek. Live reviews of Ponderosa Festival and Poetry is Bad for You. And of course, reviews of new albums, podcasts, and books. Thank you to our advertisers, The Rio, Blueprint, The Cinematheque, The Rickshaw Theatre, East Band Graphics, SFU, Timber Concerts, The Vancouver International Film Festival, The Vancouver Art Book Fair, and The AMS. 
Yes, we have some uh, really pleasant news about the weather. Uh, we've been through at least, uh, wow, that thing in Ottawa is unbelievable what happened there. But uh, our weather has been pretty benevolent so far, and uh, it's going to be really nice this week. So tonight is a few clouds with uh, perhaps some fog patches overnight with a low of 8. Uh, then tomorrow, uh, the fog will dissipate sh- quickly in the morning, and it's going to have uh, give way to a beautiful, warm, sunny day with a low of 8 and highs between 17 and 21. Yeah, nice weather for fall, right? Because yeah, actually we're officially into fall right now. Um, Wednesday is sunny with a low of 9 and even warmer, highs between 18 and 22. And Thursday is sunny again with a low of 9 and highs between 19 and 23. Friday, sunny with a low of 10 and highs between 20 and 24. And then the weekend, a mix of sun and cloud for both Saturday and Sunday with uh, lows at 9 and highs between 17 and 18. So pretty nice weather throughout the week. Ah, yes. We're very lucky to be living in this part of the world, despite the fact that it costs a lot of money. Right? Okay. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Before we get into our next musical segment, I'd just like to mention once again uh, this incredible book launch, which is going to happen uh, because of this incredible book. And uh, a lot of people don't know about the sort of the, the, the cultural history about. Um, I know it goes back in time in Vancouver, but Vancouver was, uh, a lot of people think of, well, back in the 40s and 50s, it was kind of like a small provincial town. Well, in many ways it was, but there was stuff going on here that uh, unfortunately uh, no longer happens in the same way. And there was a jazz club here in Vancouver called The Cellar. And I'm not talking about Corey Weed's cellar, which was out on West Broadway. This was on the other side of town. This was the original cellar, and it opened up. It was a um, musician's cooperative. Uh, everybody chipped in and, and um, got a space to, to play and make music. And uh, the cellar, uh, of course, um, began about 1955, 56. And it was a group of local um, jazz musicians, and uh, they wanted a, a place to play, basically. And it grew into a very, very important jazz club. And we had such people as uh, Barney Kessel, uh, the Montgomery brothers, Wes Montgomery and, and his brothers. We had people like uh, Pete Jolly, wonderful piano player. We had people like Charles Mingus. Yes, that was a, a legendary visit. Um, Art Pepper, the great voice of the alto saxophone. Uh, Harold Land with uh, the legendary bassist, Scott LaFarrell. And uh, Elmo Hope, um, a 
another jazz legend. Um, so many people uh, played at the cellar, and of course it was an outlet for resident musicians like Al Neal, um, drummer Bill Boyle, Jim Johnson, um, so many other people, Fraser McPherson. Uh, everybody played at the cellar, and it was. They also had plays there. It was a cultural center. There was a lot uh, of of stuff going on at that club, and it existed, as I mentioned, uh, between about the years 1956 and 1963, and um, that was a center of activity in Vancouver. And the the original cellar was located on Watson Street, the the little small lane like street between. Um, Maine and Kingsway, and um, the building is no longer there because it's that's uh, the new development. Rise has has taken over that particular corner. However, there's this comprehensive book which has been published by UBC Press. It took a long, long time for this book to be um, compiled and put together. Uh, lots of interviews uh, and and people that were. Uh, important in Vancouver jazz scene uh, that have moved on to other cities, people like Don Thompson and, and uh, uh, Terry Clark, um, the drummer, and uh, so many other people. The book was written by Marion Jago, and uh, Marion is a, a, a doctor, and um, she teaches over in Edinburgh uh, right now, but she'll be returning to Vancouver to launch the book at Neptune Records on the 17th of October at 6.30. And I'm going to be there to introduce Marion and, and uh, maybe deliver a few uh, uh, seller anecdotes because I was there. And um, uh, I'm uh, honored to be part uh, of the book and uh, an advisor um, about uh, many things when uh, Marion would ask me about uh, different facts and um identifying pictures and all that sort of stuff uh, over the years. So the book launch is at Neptune Records, October 17th at 6.30. Neptune Records, of course, is at 3561 Main Street right here in Vancouver. It's around 20th and Main, and um, that's what's going to happen. And this book is really an important document um, and beautifully written and very easy to read as well. Uh, Marion is an excellent writer, and uh, she's really proven her abilities in the publication of this book, and it's called Live at the Cellar. And uh, it's a reminiscence of those golden years in Vancouver, and the cellar, as I mentioned before, was a true cultural center. All right, we're going to get to the next music now and celebrate... One of the great, many people say the greatest modern jazz trumpeter, Fats Navarro. Using the term greatest always, you know, it seems to eliminate other people too because Fats Navarro was on the same level as Dizzy Gillespie or Miles Davis. Those, those people really made the jazz trumpet. Kenny Dorham as well has to be mentioned along Fats Navarro, unfortunately, had a, a short life. He was only 26 uh, when he died, and he didn't live into the LP era. Um, so many of his recordings are, are simply very, very short 
three-minute uh, recordings that were originally released on single records. Fats was born in Key West, Florida on this day. This is his birthday today, September 24th, 1923, and uh, died in New York City, July 7th, 1950. Fats, unfortunately, um, developed several problems. Uh, heroin addiction being a big one. Uh, TB, because he didn't take care of himself, and um, these afflictions led to a slow decline of his health, and unfortunately, he was hospitalized on July 1st um, in 1950 and died July 6th, and we lost one of the great trumpet players in jazz history. Fats was part of this nice little band that played at a club, one of the leading jazz clubs in New York, called the Royal Roost. So we're going to hear some air shots from the Royal Roost. The sound quality is, is pretty good on these things. And we're going to hear Fats. He's part of this band that was put together by pianist, composer, Tad Dameron. I love Dameron's piano playing. Very, very uh, um, individual-sounding pianist. Um, he never considered himself a great pianist, but he certainly is, and he certainly contributed to the sound. This is his band. Fats Navarro was the leading voice here on trumpet. Rudy Williams, a wonderful uh, saxophone player who actually was the uh, Charles Mingus's uh, cousin, and uh, Ru Rudy Williams on alto saxophone. Alan Eager, another legendary figure on tenor saxophone. That's quite a story. I won't get into that, but he's a great player, and he's in fine form on, uh, uh, on, on these shots, these air shots. Uh, Tad Dameron, as I mentioned, on piano. Curly Russell on bass was one of the leading modern jazz bass players of the time and one of the pioneers of modern drumming, Kenny Clark. We're going to hear a bunch of tunes here. We're going to open with uh, Tad Dameron's uh, great tune called Good Bait. Then we're going to move to a tune written by Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie called Anthropology. Then we're going to hear um, another uh, Dameron composition called The Tad Walk. And then uh, we're going to follow the Tad Walk with another one called Our Delight. And we're going to end with one that Fats Navarro wrote called Eb Pob, which is bebop spelled backwards or said backwards. So those tunes are the ones we're going to hear. Fats Navarro was part of this great band, and we hear his uh, wonderful trumpet playing on these tracks. So here we go. Take you back to the Royal Roost, 1948. Thank you. 
All of this was recorded live at the legendary Royal Roost, which was one of the leading jazz clubs in the late 40s in New York City. And that was the Tad Dameron Orchestra, with Mr. Dameron leading the band and playing the piano. And, of course, we heard, uh, uh, when we did hear him, Rudy Williams on alto saxophone. We did hear a lot of Alan Eager on tenor saxophone. And, of course, the main star of this band was a gentleman who we paid a short tribute to because today was the birthday of the great Fats Navarro. Theodore Fats Navarro, born in Key West, Florida, on this day in 1923, and sadly passed away at a very young age. He was only 26 uh, in New York City, July 7, 1950. And, of course, he set the stage for modern trumpet players. He uh, influenced people like Clifford Brown, uh, Lee Morgan, Donald Byrd, um, uh, to this day trumpet players like Sean Jones, uh, Wynton Marcellus, uh, and so many trumpet players have um, been influenced by Fats Navarro. And, of course, unfortunately, because he died in 1950, he didn't really live into the age of the LP but we do have these airshot recordings, and they're very they're important um, because they're longer than the average single record um, at the time, and we get a chance to hear Fats um, play a lot longer and uh, in front of an audience. It's just so much better live. So we took you back there to the Royal Roost and the Tad Dameron Orchestra. Um, Curly Russell was the bassist and the great pioneer of modern jazz drumming, Kenny Clark. And the tunes we heard, uh, the first tune was written by Tad Dameron uh, and was called Good Bait. The second tune was a Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie tune called Anthropology. And then we returned to the compositions of Tad Dameron and we heard the Tad Walk. And then we heard two more. Um, we heard Our Delight. And the final tune was actually written by Fats Navarro, and it was called Eeb Pob, which, of course, is <laughs> bebop, spelled backwards, or said backwards. And, of course, we heard Fats uh, was featured on that tune. He took the longest solo and stretched out. Such a beautiful, melodic player with a, a gorgeous sound. And, of course, the quality of these recordings, despite the fact that they were taken off the, uh, off the radio, they were uh, radio broadcasts, uh, the sound quality was quite good for its time and uh, knowing the source. All right, our small tribute to the great Theodore Fats Navarro. And we'd like to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9. My name's Gavin Walker, and of course we're also um, live streaming on www.citr.ca. And we shall return in a few moments right after these important messages. The Vancouver International Film Festival is back this fall from September 27th to October 12th. 
Experience some of the best cinema from around the world fused with industry creator talks and immersive events at one of North America's largest film festivals. This year, be sure to catch CITR's sponsored film screening of Matangi, Maya, MIA, an all-access documentary into the pop culture firebrand MIA, whose creativity and charisma are rivaled by her combativeness and appetite for controversy. Screening September 27th and 29th. For more information and tickets, visit viff.org. Timber Concerts and CITR presents Shannon and the Clams with guests Sevilla, Thursday, October 4th at the Wise Hall. Advanced tickets are available online at ticketweb.ca and are also available at Redcat Main Street, Redcat Hastings Street, and Zulu. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkamenum-speaking Musqueam people. We're going to take you to the Monterey Jazz Festival. September 1964, and I was there. I was in the audience, and uh, this is an incredible performance by the Charles Mingus Jazz Workshop. And this particular music, uh, or piece of music, was one of the high points of a segment of the festival that was the high point. This was uh, uh, one of Mingus's great triumphs was his performance at the Monterey Festival, uh, September 20th, 1964. It was written up in Time magazine, and of course, fortunately, it was recorded. And we're going to hear the um, Charles Mingus's, he always referred to this group as, as his favorite quintet. And we're going to listen to a piece of music called Orange Was the Color of Her Dress, Then Blue Silk. And the people involved here, Charles McPherson, who plays just so beautifully on alto saxophone, and of course he is the surviving member of this quintet. Charles is still very active, and uh, I talk to Charles every uh, couple of weeks, and uh, he has uh, been amazingly busy, and he, he, this is, he sounds so great on this record. Lonnie Hillier on trumpet, who was, happened to be Charles' best friend. Uh, Lonnie passed away in 1985, wonderful trumpet player. Jackie Byard on piano. Of course, Charles Mingus on bass and Danny Richmond on drums. Here they are. I imagine I should say I love you madly at this point. <laughs> because uh, if there is a recording, then it might all go to Duke Ellington, which is about do him. I've stolen enough. Uh, the people involved are Charles McPherson, alto saxophone, Lonnie Healy, trumpet, and John Handy, who used to play with us, but joined us just yesterday because my saxophone player, Booker Irvin, is in the hospital. Danny Richmond, drums, did I say that? And Jackie Byard, piano.
like to do more with John, maybe uh, later. But the things I would like to do now, he doesn't know. What he couldn't learn in one day. No one could. Not even me. Okay, love to you and your family. And uh, would you ask your wife to return those pearls and things that fell on the floor to the young lady? I think she's still around. I like babies. This composition is titled Orange Was the Color of Her Dress, Then Blue Silk.
Charles McPherson, alto saxophone, Lonnie Hillier, trumpet, Danny Richmond, drums, and Jackie Byard, piano. We all wish to say thank you. We'll be back with more people and more musicians.
Recorded September 20th, 1964, at the Monterey Jazz Festival. Of course, you heard the voice of Charles Mingus. And we heard this magnificent piece of music recorded by his favorite quintet. Orange was the color of her dress, then blue silk. That was the title. And, of course, as Mingus uh, mentioned, Charles McPherson on alto saxophone, Lonnie Hillier, trumpet, Jackie Byard, piano, Charles Mingus on bass, and Danny Richmond on drums. We hope you enjoyed that uh, extended piece of music by one of the great masters of music, Charles Mingus. And it was was something else to uh, witness that whole afternoon performance of... uh, of Mingus at the Monterey Festival. And uh, it was a hot um, fall day. Well, not fall, not quite fall, uh, late summer day in California, but it was really, really uh, warm out there. But it, it ju- And the sun was beating down. It was just, uh, it was perfect. Um, and uh, the music just, uh, of course, was great. We're going to change the pace. We're going to take you back to some uh, early music. As a matter of fact, to, wow, before most of us uh, out there were born, we're going to go way back to um, April 14th, 1937, and play a legendary session led by Lionel Hampton, the great Lionel Hampton. Uh, He does a little vocal on one of the tunes uh, and, of course, plays the vibraphone. He was the pioneer of that instrument and uh, definitely put the vibraphone on the map. He became a star with um, Benny Goodman, and, uh, but he became a star on his own, and he was one of the first African-American musicians to be able to record anything he wanted. Uh, he was signed by uh, RCA Victor Records, and um, he was basically allowed to pick, um, to have these regularly... Uh, produce sessions, and uh, pick any musicians he wanted to to, uh, perform with. And uh, he was given carte blanche, and these records are now classics of uh, swing music. And, of course, uh, they're all legendary. And this was one of the sessions. It only produced three tunes, but they're all incredible. And the band... Cootie Williams on trumpet from the Ellington Orchestra, Lawrence Brown on trombone uh, from the the Ellington Orchestra, and Johnny Hodges on alto saxophone. Jess Stacy from the Goodman Orchestra on piano, Alan Roos on guitar, who was Goodman's guitarist, and John Kirby on bass, who led his own band, and the great Cozy Cole on drums, who also led his own band at the time. And, of course, as I mentioned before, Mr. Hampton on vibes and vocal. So we're going to hear the first tune is called Buzzing Around with the Bee, and the second tune is called Whoa, Babe, and the third tune is my favorite called Stompology. So here then, some great music by Lionel Hampton.
be here that's trying to sting me. What you say, boys, if we swing this beat?
Lionel Hampton and his All-Stars, recorded April 14th, 1937 for RCA Victor Records. And we heard Cootie Williams on trumpet, Lawrence Brown on trombone, Johnny Hodges on alto saxophone, Jess Stacy on piano, Alan Roos on guitar, John Kirby on bass, Cozy Cole on drums, and of course on vibes and vocal, uh, leading the band, the great Lionel Hampton. And uh, the first tune was a Lionel Hampton composition called Buzzin' Around with the Bee. And then we heard another tune called Whoa, Babe. And the final tune, my favorite tune of the whole three-tune set, Stompology was the last tune. Lionel Hampton, the legendary Lionel Hampton, one of the great pioneers of music and uh, the vibraphone. He really put that instrument on the map. We're going to hear next is one of my favorite Hammond organists. And he performs here with Charles Mingus's favorite tenor saxophone player, Booker Irvin. And the always swinging, tasteful, and driving Billy James on drums. Just three of them. And this is from Don Patterson's debut album for Prestige Records called The Exciting New Organ of Don Patterson. And all of this was recorded in 1964. Don Patterson on Hammond organ, Booker Irvin, tenor saxophone, Billy James on drums. We're going to open with a Don Patterson composition called It's About Time. And we're going to follow that up with another Patterson opus called Up in Betty's room. So here then, Mr. Don Patterson, the Hammond organ and company. Thank you. 
We heard a couple of pieces from Don Patterson's, the late, great Don Patterson on Hammond organ, from his very first album that he did in 1964 called The Exciting New Organ of Don Patterson. And he was featured here, of course, on the Hammond, Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone and Billy James on drums. We heard two tunes. The first was uh, both compositions by Don Patterson. The first one was called It's About Time, and the second one was called Up in Betty's Room. Whatever happened up there, well, hmm, the music was uh, very cool. Hope you enjoyed the exciting new organ of Don Patterson, one of the great exponents of the Hammond. We'll be back in a moment right after these significant messages. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or www.citr.ca for live streaming. My name is Gavin Walker, and we shall return with some music by the Cannonball Adderley Quintet Plus Orchestra in a very adventurous piece of music. In a moment. 
Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. CITR and Discorder. But are you a true friend? Get a Friends of CITR and Discorder card for $20 for discounts in Kitsilano and around UBC at On the Fringe Hair Design, Rufus Guitar Shop, Stormcrow Ale House, The Bike Kitchen, UBC Bookstore, Australia Boot Company, and so many more. Two great websites to uh, check out. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. That's coastaljazz.ca. They have uh, planned concerts coming up, uh, of course, and they're the producers of the Vancouver International Jazz Festival. And they also sponsor Frankie's Jazz Club, which is, of course, uh, one of Vancouver's leading jazz clubs down on Beatty Street. And this particular website, coastaljazz.ca, gives you a complete uh, composite picture of what's going on in Vancouver. And you can check out the uh, schedule at Frankie's and find out who you would like to see. And you can book a table, reservations, pay for them, all of that stuff. A very, very comprehensive website, worthwhile, and it's coastaljazz.ca. The other fine website is the um, website put together by and administered by my old friend Brian Nation, and that website is called vancouverjazz.com, and that's a great uh, site to go on. You can browse around that site, spend a lot of time on there, check things out, vancouverjazz.com or coastaljazz.ca. And just a brief reminder, uh, I mentioned it a couple of times earlier on in the show, a great book launch um, at Neptune Records up on Main Street uh, on October 17th. And, of course, Neptune is at uh, 3561 Main. And on October 17th at 6.30, which is a Wednesday, um, there'll be a great book launch, and that launch is a, a wonderful um, piece of work composed by Marion Jago, and it's called Live at the Cellar, and it's a history of one of the great cultural centers in Vancouver, the original cellar, which of course existed on uh, that little street, Watson Street, um, between Main and Kingsway where the rise development is now. But uh, the cellar was there, and it existed from 1956 until um, it closed down, the original version of the cellar, in 1963. 
And, of course, it was the center of all kinds of great music. Uh, Charles Mingus played there, and um, the Montgomery Brothers, Barney Kessel, um, Art Pepper, all kinds of people. And, of course, there were some great plays. It was a cultural center. And uh, this book is all about that time in Vancouver when everybody thought, well, gee, Vancouver's kind of a little small backwater town. There was stuff going on in Vancouver, and the cellar covers uh, um, this book covers that great period and um, with interviews and people uh, that were involved in that uh, Musicians and Artists Cooperative that created the original seller. So that's uh, Neptune Records, October 17th, Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Getting back to music. The Cannonball Adderley Quintet and Orchestra. Now, this is a fairly rare item. Um, it features the Cannonball Adderley Quintet as it uh, existed in 1970. It was recorded, this was recorded in June of 1970 for Capitol Records. Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone leading the band with brother Nat Adderley on cornet, Joe Zavanul on piano and electric piano, Walter Booker, Bookie on bass, and Roy McCurdy on drums, plus a large unidentified orchestra. And all of this was recorded in Los Angeles. The orchestra was conducted by William Fisher. And this piece of music was written by Joe Zavanel and William Fisher. And it's uh, an extended piece of music called The Experience in E. And it features some very adventurous playing by uh, Mr. Adderley and company. And uh, I think you'll find this an interesting challenge to listen to. Experience in E.
And that was called Experience in E. And that was featured Cannonball Adderley Quintet and Orchestra. Of course, with Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, playing particularly adventurously on this piece of music, with Brother Nat Adderley on cornet, Joe Zavinold playing acoustic and electric piano, Walter Booker on bass, and Roy McCurdy on drums, plus a large unidentified orchestra, all recorded in Los Angeles in June of 1970. And that was a piece of music written by Joe Zavinold and William Fisher. And Mr. Fisher uh, conducted the orchestra as well. Um, Experience in E, released on Capitol Records. Julian Cannonball Adderley. Remember a few weeks ago he did a history of jazz and narrated it? Yeah, if uh, you were listening back then, you would have heard uh, that particular um, episode in that program. It was on our jazz feature. Here is um, next month. Our jazz features are going to be underrated and maybe totally unknown representatives of the alto saxophone. And um, I'm not going to get into all any of the names or anything. They'll, you'll just have to uh, come around and, uh, and check them out. Um, but there's some great players. I classify this gentleman as being underrated, uh, although he's a little better known. I'm talking about Frank Strozier, and he's one of my all-time favorite alto saxophonists. Frank um, stopped playing uh, in the early 80s. He was uh, discouraged with the music business. And as far as I know, he's still living. Um, I talked to Harold Mayburn about uh, Frank, and he said that uh, he calls him uh, every few days just to make sure he's okay. Um, but basically, Frank, uh, unfortunately, has hung up his horn in the, uh, in the early 80s. Uh, he did a couple of uh, concerts playing the piano. He was quite good at that, and, uh, but that was pretty well the, the end of his musical career. And he's, um, his, has, he's become kind of uh, reclusive. Uh, Frank was born in 1937, so he's not a young man. However, he sounds great on this recording, which was done in 1978. Frank Strozier on alto saxophone, Harold Mayburn on piano, Cecil McBee on bass, and the actual leader of this quartet is drummer Louis Hayes. And we're going to hear a couple of tunes uh, from this date. The first tune was written by Harold Mayburn. It's called Kelly Colors. Tune number two is the great anthem by Marvin Gaye. And we're going to hear the quartet do What's Going On. And we're going to end with uh, one of Frank Strozier's favorite tunes, and that's the Bratislaw Caper uh, composition called Invitation. So here, then, is the Lewis Hayes Quartet featuring alto saxophonist Frank Strozier. Thank you. 
the amazing saxophone playing of Frank Strozier, appearing with the Louis Hayes on drums, who was the actual leader of that quartet, Harold Mayburn on piano, and Cecil McBee on bass. And all of this was recorded in October of 1978 in New York City. We heard three tunes. Uh, we opened with uh, Harold Mayburn original entitled Kelly Colors, and the second tune was uh, Marvin Gaye's great uh, anthem, What's Going On, and an instrumental version of that. And the final tune was one of Frank Strozier's favorite uh, compositions by Bronislaw Caper, and he wrote that beautiful melody called Invitation. Frank Strozier, extraordinary alto saxophonist. Well, that's it for another edition of The Jazz Show. As I mentioned before, um, this is our last show for the month of September, of course, and we'll be back next Monday. It'll be October by that time. And the month of October, all the jazz features are going to be obscure alto saxophonists in different contexts. Um, some of these people you may or may not have heard of, but they were, they're all excellent and worthwhile players and made some great music, and uh, ranging from, well, different styles and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be our jazz feature feature for next month, um, obscure, lesser-known uh, alto saxophonists. So, be sure to join us next week. We'll be back in seven days' time. And we hope that you enjoyed the show this evening. And we will return. My name's Gavin Walker. This has been another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca for live streaming. Take care. On behalf of myself and CITR, have a great week. Bye-bye. Do but do do do
Thank you.